0: This is SRN News. W262CP Bayonet Point. WTBN Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: And I wonder this morning can you relate to having experienced the pain of being misunderstood? Perhaps someone you once were close to, someone maybe you were dear friends with, someone who you once admired, but then something happened. You're not even sure exactly what happened. Some event took place, things got out of hand, maybe you you made a comment or remark that was misunderstood, you try to clarify it, you try to defend yourself, but it only got worse. The more you try to explain, the worse it got, and no matter what you did, it just went from bad to worse.
2: Unless you were born, raised, and lived your entire life without any human companionship, you have almost certainly suffered the pain of being misunderstood. It happens, it hurts, and our natural response is to lash out at the one who has falsely accused us. Even though we may know that retaliation will do nothing to help, sometimes we cannot help but try to even the score or to somehow salvage our pride. But if retaliation is counterproductive, what can we do that will somehow bring positive results? There is a biblical response, and we can learn about it over the next three days on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is leading us through a series of lessons about a fascinating man of God, King David. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor for over 27 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse-by-verse verse is the radio adaptation of his messages. False accusations always hurt, but the worst kind is when a friend turns on you. And what hurts more than being falsely accused of a bad act? It is a false accusation of bad motives. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, we find the account of David's experience when that very thing happened to him. Here is Pastor Steve to begin our lesson.
1: You know what's one of the toughest things in life? It's it's being misunderstood. Misunderstood, being misunderstood is, is really hard. And I think it's so hard because um, you're innocent and uh, you haven't done what somebody thinks you've done. And yet it's a no-win situation because... No matter how hard you try to clarify and defend yourself, the deeper the misunderstanding usually gets. It it just seems to be really a painful experience. One of the most illuminating illustrations that I've ever come across uh, about being misunderstood is from an old Chuck Swindoll book called Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Back. Let me read it to you about... Uh, A little lengthy story, but you'll see the point about the pain of being misunderstood. This is the story. He says, a close friend of mine has an acquaintance in Texas who's a young attorney. He's a member of a sizable firm run by a rather traditional kind of boss who enjoys a special kind of ritual at Thanksgiving time. Every year, this young attorney participates in the ritual because it means so much to his employer. On the large walnut table in the boardroom of the uh, office suite sits a row of turkeys, one for each member in the firm. It isn't just a matter if you want it, you can have it. If you don't, you can leave it. The members go through some uh, rather involved protocol. Each man stands back from the table, looks at his turkey, and when his turn comes, he steps forward and picks up the bird, announcing how grateful he is to work for the firm and how thankful he is for the turkey this Thanksgiving. This young attorney is is single, lives alone, has absolutely no use for a a huge turkey. He has no idea how to fix it, and even if it were properly prepared, he has no uh, way to use all of its meat. But because it's expected of him, he takes a turkey every year. One year, his close friends in the law office replaced his turkey with one made of papier-mâché. They weighted it with lead to make it feel genuine and and, and attached a real turkey neck and tail to make it look just like a real turkey. But it was a bogus bird through and through. On the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, everyone gathered in the boardroom. When it came his uh, turn, this young man stepped up, picked up the large bird, announced his gratitude for the job and for the turkey. Later that afternoon... He got on a bus to go home, and with the big turkey on his lap, he wondered what in the world he would do with it. A little further down the bus line, a rather run-down, discouraged-looking man got on. The only vacant seat on the bus was the one next to our young attorney friend. He sat down and began to talk about the holiday. The lawyer learned that the stranger had spent the entire day job hunting with no luck, and that he had a large family, and that he was wondering what he would do about Thanksgiving tomorrow. The attorney was struck with a brilliant idea. This is my day for a good turn. I'll give him my turkey. It gets better. (laughs) Then he had a second thought. This man is not a freeloader. He's no bum. It would probably injure his pride for me to give it to him. I'll sell it to him. He asked the man, how much money do you have? Oh, a couple of dollars and a few cents, the man answered. The attorney said, I would like to sell you this turkey. And he placed it on the man's lap. Sold. The stranger handed over the two dollars and whatever coins he had. He was moved to tears. I'll bet he was thrilled to death that this uh, that his family would have a turkey for Thanksgiving. He got off the bus, waved goodbye to the tur- uh, to the attorney. God bless you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'll never forget you. I'll bet he'll never forget this, ma'am. But. The bus pulled away from the curb as both men smiled and waved. Can you picture this, Wendell says, can you picture this man going home, announcing as he got inside the front door, kids, you'll never believe what a nice man I met today. Come, here, look for yourself. Look what I have. Then he'd lay the thing down, I'm sure, on the kitchen table and begin to unwrap the the brown paper, only to find this fake glob of paper and lead weights with only a real neck and real tail what, a, what the man probably said, Simon and Schuster couldn't even publish. The next Monday, the attorney went to work. His friends were dying to know about the turkey. You cannot imagine their chagrin when they heard the story of what happened. I understand through my friend that they all got on the bus every day that week looking in vain for a man who, as far as I know to this day, still entertains a misunderstanding about a guy who innocently sold him a fake turkey for a couple of bucks and a few cents. He writes, that's misunderstanding you know all of us have experienced misunderstanding if you haven't you will but one bible character that stands out in my mind who experienced the pain of being misunderstood was king david i'd like you to turn your bibles to first samuel chapter 18 we're studying the life of david and david much of david's life consists of being misunderstood uh, he really went through a painful experience with King Saul. You remember that um, after David killed the, the giant Goliath, he was a national hero in Israel. Everybody esteemed him. He was popular. But the problem was Saul began to be jealous. In First Samuel chapter 18, verse 6, we read this. It happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine that the women came out of their cities, the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang as they played. They said, Saul is slain as thousands and David is ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry for this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, But to me, They have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And then it says, Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Saul was a very jealous man, a very insecure man, a man who was threatened by David's success. But I want you to understand, it wasn't just that he was annoyed that David got the glory that he wanted. Saul misunderstood David's intentions. He said, what more can he have but the kingdom? This guy is out for my job. This guy wants to be king over the kingdom. But that wasn't David's heart. That wasn't David's motive. Those were not his intentions. David was content and very satisfied to let God work things out in his own time. David knew that he was the chosen one to replace Saul. He had been anointed by Samuel to be the next king. But very often in David's life, he would make this statement, I would never touch the Lord's anointed. David would not take matters into his own hands. He was not pursuing the throne. David had just innocently come along, heard this giant Goliath who was taunting the living God and the armies of the living God. So he killed him for God's honor. And the next thing he knows that he's Saul's most hated enemy. That's really what happened to David. Through no sin of his own, he's thrust into a very painful experience of being misunderstood. And I wonder this morning if you could relate to that, not that you've killed the giants and not that you have a king after you, but that can, can you relate to having experienced the pain of being misunderstood? I can, and, and I'm sure if you think hard enough, uh, you can. Perhaps someone you once were close to, someone maybe you were dear friends with, Someone who you once admired, but then something happened. You're not even sure exactly what happened. Some event took place, things got out of hand, and um, maybe you, you made a comment or remark that was misunderstood. You try to clarify it, you try to defend yourself, but it only got worse. The more you try to explain, the, the worse it got. And no matter what you did, it, it just went from bad to worse. And so the question is this, this morning, as we want to see what God has to say about the pain of being misunderstood, the question is this, biblically, what should you do when you're misunderstood? Does the Bible supply any answers to that? Because that's a real life issue. What do you do when you're misunderstood? From David's experience, we want to learn how to biblically answer that question, because if you don't respond biblically to that, you're going to respond the wrong way. There is a right way to respond. There's a wrong way to respond. And if you respond the wrong way, we're going to become bitter or apathetic. Uh, I think there are many Christians who were once dynamic servants, perhaps even leaders in the church, very active, very involved. But through misunderstandings, perhaps they were unfairly criticized. Perhaps their motives were, were judged, misjudged. For whatever reasons, now they sit on the sidelines of service. They're resentful. that anybody dared to think this about them? They're angry. And they're really gun shy from getting too involved again. You know why they don't want to get too involved again? Because they don't want the pain of being misunderstood. It, It really hurts. Few things hurt as much as being misunderstood. When you know that you've done nothing wrong and yet nobody, nobody will listen to you. So with this as a background, what I'd like to do is something a little different this morning. I want us to quickly go through the events of 1 Samuel 18 and 19, which basically just tells us how Saul took out his uh, his anger and jealousy and misunderstanding on David. But then I'd like us to really look a little more closely at Psalm 59. Keep your place, please, in 1 Samuel 18, but let's turn to Psalm 59. And I'll tell you why we want to look at Psalm 59 underneath, or, or just on top of the psalm, it should say this in just about every version of the Bible that you might have, there's a superscription, that is a little title, a little saying about this psalm. And here's what it says. For the choir director, da-da-da-da-da, set to certain things, when, and it says, here's the occasion. When David or when Saul sent men and they watched the house, meaning the house of David, in order to kill him, in other words, what this is about this, this psalm was composed by David right after the events of First Samuel 19. so you realize what this is is a psalm that reveals the godly way to respond to being misunderstood. This follows exactly first Samuel. 19. So let's work work our way through uh, 1 Samuel 18 and 19 and examine more closely Psalm 59. I think that's the best way to approach this. So as we go back to Samuel, we first of all see Saul's reactions of misunderstanding. Saul really reacted. He was really a fool. He was out of fellowship with God, and we're going to see he was actually uh, demonically influenced. We read, beginning in verse 10, And we're not going to comment a great deal on these verses, just kind of fly through. Now, it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from from God came mightily uh, upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of, of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual, and a spear was in Saul's hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. Now, Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul the day after Saul began to eye David with suspicion he came under the influence of a demon I think that's what he means by an evil spirit sent from the Lord it was a demon and this demon inspired him to hurl a spear at David now you might wonder what was David doing playing the harp in his presence and all this Well, back in chapter 16, it says that the Spirit of God had departed from Saul and it came upon David. In those days, that's what would happen. It doesn't happen today like that because Jesus promised that the Spirit of God would be in us forever. But back then, uh, the Spirit of God could depart from you and he did from Saul. He came upon David, but also says that that Saul was demonically influenced, an evil spirit, which I take would be a demon, came upon Saul. And the only relief that, that this depressed at a fellowship man would get was to have soothing music. And David was a great musician, so David was brought in to soothe Saul with his, uh, his music playing. So, so one day David is playing, and Saul is enraged. This, a, a, a demon influences him. He picks up a javelin, and he hurls this at David, and David escapes. But verse 12 is interesting because it says, Now Saul was afraid of David. First he was angry. Now he's afraid. Why? Here's the reason, for the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. I think for the first time, Saul realized David is being supernaturally protected. This is the guy that God is going to put on the throne, and he was afraid. He was afraid. He's probably an excellent javelin thrower, and David escaped. So he now begins to become alert to the fact that David is somebody special. The next thing that Saul did, because he was jealous and he misunderstood David's heart, was something that that might surprise you at first. Verse 13 says, Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as his commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. David says was prospering in all his ways, and verse 15 says when Saul saw that he was prospering, he dreaded him. Saul promoted him. You might wonder, that's odd. Why would you promote him? Because the story goes on to say that he promoted him with the thought that I'll put him at the front of the troops. He'll be a commander, so I don't have to kill him. The Philistines will kill him. Why should I kill this guy? He's popular. It'll make me look bad. If the Philistines kill him, that'll, that'll answer our problems. So he he promotes him, and as the story goes on, to say, uh, it, it just becomes obvious. What he first does is he offers him his uh, first daughter, Merib. He offers him to David to be... Uh, His wife. David refuses it in his humility. He says, I can't become the son in law of the king. I'm a poor man, which means I don't have money for a down payment. And uh, no, this is not right, because in those days they would give a dowry, a down payment to the father or the bride. He said, No, this is not right. And uh, so Merib is given to another man to be his wife. Then Saul comes up with another thought. He has another daughter named Michael. And Michael loves uh, David. So he says, Uh huh. I'll give Michael to David and uh, she will become his wife. Only David has to go out and kill some Philistines. Bring me back their foreskins and uh, he'll become my son-in-law. That's that's the dowry. You don't have to pay me. Just just do that. And that's what happens. But but in his mind, his intention is David's going to jeopardize his life. He'll be killed and uh, I'll be happy again. That's that's really what the story is about. Okay, and, and so we're just saving some time by not, by not reading it. Now, as, as chapter 19 opens up, David is, uh, is married to Michael. And, uh, and there's a conversation that goes on between Jonathan. Remember we met Jonathan last week? Jonathan became David's best friend, uh, soulmate. Jonathan has a conversation with his father. And he says, why are you doing this? David is a great man, and he admires you, and he's your man. He killed the the giant. He's popular in Israel. Don't kill him. Don't try to kill him, because now Saul, it says, notice verse 1 of chapter 19, now Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David, and so it goes on to say that he tried to persuade him, don't do this. So now Saul's gone from trying to kill him with a javelin to the Philistines killing him. So that doesn't work. I'll get my servants to kill him. And Jonathan appeals to him. He wins the appeal. David, or or rather Saul says, you're right. I don't know what's gotten into me. Um, No, David can be back in my presence and everything is okay. And it looks hopeful. But as the story goes on in chapter 19 to tell us it didn't last very long. Notice verses nine and 10. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul. It means again, he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand guess he liked playing with that spear. I don't know. And uh, David was playing the harp with his hand, and Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of, da- out of Saul's presence so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. So this took place at night. Then notice verse 11. Then Saul sent messengers. Now he's got hired assassins to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death in the morning. See, it takes place at night, and they're going to circle the house. They're going to wait for him in the morning, and when he comes out, they're going to kill him. But Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be put to death. In other words, you've got to do something now, or uh, tomorrow's going to be your last day. So she helps him, verse 12. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went out and fled and escaped. And really, from this point on, David is on the run. He's a fugitive. Now remember, he's not done anything wrong. He just minding his own business, comes across Goliath, says, I can't stand this, I'm going to kill this guy. And uh, all of a sudden, he's on the run, and it's at this point, while he's running away from Saul, that he sits down and composes a song, which we know as Psalm 59. So let's turn to Psalm 59, and we move from Saul's reactions of misunderstanding to David's response to being misunderstood. And this is where we want to get very practical, we want to see what do you do when... You're misunderstood, and you can't seem to explain it to anybody. I mean, could you imagine David trying to get Saul's attention, saying, "Let me, let me tell you, no, hold hold it a minute. I didn't. I'm not after the throne. That's all right." You take another spear and throw it at him. So, uh, what do what do we do? There, are, I see in Psalm fifty nine three basic responses that David had to being misunderstood. The first thing we see David do in the midst of being misunderstood is to depend on God alone. He cries out to God for help. Notice verses 1 through 4. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Set me securely on high, away from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who do iniquity, and save me from men of bloodshed. For behold, they have set an ambush for my life. Fierce men launch an attack against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. For no guilt of mine, they run and set themselves against me. Arouse thyself to help me and see. As David ran from, from the men that Saul sent to murder him, he simply stopped and prayed for God's deliverance to set him in a place where they couldn't touch him. Now, that may seem obvious to us. Seems, I think it should seem obvious that when you're going through something like this, you pray and look to God. But I know it can't be that obvious to everybody. Because there are a lot of Christians who don't do this. They take matters into their own hands and they really leave God out. They may come to church on Sundays and sing songs and listen to sermons. But when it comes to the nitty gritty of life, somehow God is left out. And they take matters into their own hands. They use whatever uh, maybe business instincts they have, uh, common sense, and so forth. David didn't do that. In humility, he cried out, God, I'm defenseless. I'm defenseless. They misunderstand me. I haven't done anything wrong, but they won't listen to me. God, help me. I I need you right now. I look to you for help. I wonder if it's ever occurred to you that, that one reason that God puts us in a painful situation of being misunderstood is for us to really depend upon him. Maybe it's his way, and I do think it is, to get our attention. To really get our attention. Sometimes he does this just To get us to turn to him and say, I really need you. I have to uh, look to you. Pain like this often brings us to our knees, doesn't it? It it should.
2: Turning to God in painful times is the first of several things we need to do as part of a biblical response to trials. We're running out of time today, so I hope you can join us for the next verse-by-verse and the continuation of this three-part message. Verse by Verse is the radio pulpit of Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. The prayers and financial gifts of our listeners are vital to keeping these classes on the air, and we are thankful for those of you who participate in this ministry. To find out how you can help, please visit our website, VerseByVerseRadio.org. There is a link near the top right corner of the page that says Support Us. You will also find archives of previous broadcasts and other helpful resources. That's VerseByVerseRadio.org. If you would like a CD or a cassette of this entire three part message, please call us at 727 239 0306. Leave your name and a phone number and we'll call you back during regular office hours. The next step in handling misunderstanding, if you have not already guessed it, is to pray for our persecutors. There are many things about David-